Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Welcome back to Sci-Fi Fidelity, everyone. This is Mike here with you, and we've got another bonus episode for you, a reformatted rerun from early in our run. This one is a discussion topic, and I hope you've been enjoying all of these reformatted bonus episodes that we've had between seasons four and five, because I've had a lot of fun pulling them up and reformatting them for you. And these discussion topics are a lot of fun. The first one that we did a couple of weeks ago as a rerun was our very first super six topic ever where Dave and I each pick three things to talk about on a theme. And this is another one from very early. In fact, I think it's the second (laughs) discussion topic that we did that way, but this one's a little bit different from the one we did where we had spaceship characters a couple weeks ago. This one is actually called apocalypse. Now it's apocalypses that we wouldn't mind living in. And there's a couple of different reasons that we come up with for why we wouldn't mind living in some of these apocalypses. But what's fun about this particular discussion topic, and especially revisiting it, is that a lot of our discussion topics visit older shows, shows that have been canceled. And there are certainly a couple of examples in this Super 6 list that fall into that category. But there's also a couple of shows that we're currently airing when this discussion happened a couple of years ago. And it's fun to hear us talking about shows like the hundred and 12 monkeys at a time when those shows were in earlier seasons and just listening to, you know, what the storylines of those shows were at the time. So we have a couple of great post-apocalyptic shows, some of which are currently airing still even a couple of years later and a couple that I think you'll enjoy revisiting So take a listen to the discussion Dave and I had in 2017, Apocalypse Now. The Super 6 topic this month is Apocalypse Now, as we're calling it. These are apocalypses that we wouldn't mind living in if we had to, but really that's just a framework for us to use to share with everyone our favorite apocalypses that have really been written very well and, and have a deep feel to them and really come across well on screen. Right. Because as Benita pointed out in the Facebook group, like guys, I don't really want to live in any apocalypse. That's right. And of course we will be hopefully sharing these topics with our social media friends on Facebook and Twitter. And we would love for people to, to uh, chime in. And in fact, what was Benita's um, answer in the end, even though she said she wouldn't want to live in any of them. Oh gosh, I forget. She might've said the hundred, but I don't want to, swear to that i think it was colony and oh you're right colony actually is not going to be on our list since it's a discussion topic in general today but i think that would be one of my top answers if not for the fact that we were discussing season two but uh there's a couple of categories that we wanted to talk about with regard to apocalypses how does it break down okay and it was interesting because once we sat down to examine this topic and and really put some thought into it i mean you've certainly got your technological 
apocalypses. Uh, I'm going to talk about Dark Angel. Battlestar Galactica certainly falls in that category. The Hundred. I think actually most of our answers are in that category. <laughs> well, it, it does seem, although some cover more than one. Uh, certainly, we've got the viral apocalypse. Right. We we've got the alien apocalypse. Okay. Uh, like uh, falling skies, for instance. Environmental, supernatural, and. And the one show I'm going to talk about encompasses both environmental and supernatural. And then, of course, nuclear, where we just blow the hell out of the earth. <laughs> yes. And that one's getting it a little bit dated. But interestingly, it still does have some play, especially in the currently starting season four of The Hundred. Interestingly enough, nuclear comes into it. In fact, they're playing with all kinds of different apocalypses in that show. But let's get to it, because basically you and I have both picked three of our favorites to highlight ones that we wouldn't mind living at. So as you describe them here, Dave, uh, at the end of whatever it is you want to describe for us, just let us know what is it that draws you to this particular apocalypse? So what are you going to start with? All right, I'm going to start with Dark Angel, which is a show that appeared on Fox Network back in the early 2000s, starring Jessica Alba and Michael Weatherly of NCIS fame. And what I really love about this show is is it certainly falls under the technological apocalypse because the premise is that a pulse bomb, which I guess is essentially an EMP, has wiped out the electronic infrastructure, which for all intents and purposes has eliminated debt as well as wealth in the United States. Cool. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe not so cool. <laughs> well, not so cool if you're uh, one of the wealthy people, but for a lot of people, it was a chance to start over. The series finds us in post-apocalyptic Seattle, which really has all the flavors of a third world nation. So on the one hand, what I really like is the multicultural aspect of it, the open air markets that seem to be in virtually every episode. Uh, certainly there's a nightlife that's kind of on the edge. And in fact, that's one of the things I like about this apocalypse, if you will, is, is that you're not running from zombies. You're not running from vampires. You don't have to worry about catching a disease. Now, granted, there are the genetically enhanced individuals that have escaped from their government-run facility, but they just want to be left alone. So they're not really a threat to the public, which is kind of cool. And, you know, I've always found it fascinating to live, theoretically, in a technologically <laughs> primitive world. Yeah, yeah in which the knowledge is there, but it has to be recovered or rebuilt. Well, it's almost like it's trying to appeal to people's sense of simpler times. And wouldn't it be interesting if circumstances forced that upon us? Absolutely. And, and there is technology slowly being brought back online. So there are television broadcasts, but it, it's certainly nothing like we know. But I guess what I really see in this show is that for a young person, which I most certainly am not, uh, <laughs> somebody in their 20s, you know, as Jessica Alba's character, Max Guevara is, it really is an exciting time. And there are no typical apocalyptic threats like zombies and viruses and things like that. But you do live life on the edge, which certainly when you're young can be very exciting. Right. And I think a big part of why life is on the edge is because people are trying to, to take advantage of the situation. The fact that there are limited resources and the fact that it's much more dangerous 
some people are going to do a power grab. And I think that's true in a lot of these that we're going to be talking about. Right. And, and on many levels, I think it is the quintessential cyberpunk. Oh, yeah. Which is definitely my favorite genre in sci-fi. Oh, cool. Well, yeah, Dark Angel is a good one. I didn't actually catch that one when it came out, but we have a couple that are coming from the vault. So I'm going to do mine that's not too old, but it is canceled. And that's Revolution, another technological apocalypse. And it does have some parallels to what you were talking about, because Dark Angel was an EMP, correct? That's right. And Revolution wasn't exactly an EMP, but it did knock out all any anything that had electronics connected to it, whether it would be a car or the power grid or anything like that. So this particular show, which ran from 2012 to 2014, takes place in a post-apocalyptic near future, right around the year 2027, I believe, because it's 15 years since the worldwide electrical power blackout. And they do flashbacks to let us know how it originated. But what comes out in the course of the series is that this was caused by a scientific development that was supposed to combat terrorism where you could selectively shut off the power of people who were a threat to America. And it just sort of got away with them. Right. As often happens, once certain people recognize the fact that this kind of a weapon exists, then, you know, all bets are off if they can get their hands on it. Right. And, it's a nanotechnology, actually. So we had some really surreal moments in that show where people were trying to get the power back on. But in the meantime, what could we do to create a new power structure since the United States has dissolved? And I really liked the kind of Wild West feel to this apocalypse, where you had different areas of the nation being ruled differently, like the Georgian nation versus the Plains states and things like that. Well, sure, the Monroe Republic, and you really had the United States divided up into, I think it was about maybe six larger states, I guess, if you will, although they really were kind of semi-autonomous countries in and of themselves. Right. But I guess I just wouldn't mind living there because it did seem like people could live their lives, albeit under totalitarian regimes in some case, and and really have some rough treatment from the military rule. But as long as you return to agrarian times, this was one like we were just talking about. It almost is trying to appeal to the idea of what if we were forced to return to simpler times? How would we do? And wouldn't it in some ways be better? In fact, in some ways, the young people that were born since the blackout or were young children when the blackout occurred are growing up without those preconceptions about entertainment and social media and things that are so all encompassing in our lives right now. And when we were making this list and figuring out what, which shows would make the cut, I felt this one had to be on there just because it just felt like a place that would be okay to live in if we were forced to do so. <laughs> so, all right, well, let me take a look at my second show. And this show I think falls certainly under the technological but also the alien apocalypse. And that is, of course, arguably not only the finest sci-fi show of all time, but I think in some circles, maybe the finest television show, period. And that is, of course, Battlestar Galactica. Oh, yeah. And, you know, on one level, it's the traditional tale of the created rebelling against its creator, which I certainly find fascinating. 
But once the Cylons wipe out the human race via the destruction of the 12 colonies, Battlestar Galactica becomes a survival story as the 50,000 that are left in space remain to protect and promote what's left of humanity. So, you know, there there is that excitement again of being on the ground floor of rebuilding the human race. Oh, that's true. And even though they really have to fight for resources, especially water out in space, the search for a new home is almost invigorating. Yes. And, and, and I'll get to the search for a home in a second. Admittedly, life on a battle cruiser has its downsides, but yeah. <laughs> but food and you mentioned water, they do seem at, at various points to be running low on water, but they always find an ice planet somewhere. Yeah. So fulfilling the basic needs doesn't seem to be that big of a problem. And it's exciting knowing that the goal is to find that mythical 13th planet Earth and then take up residence there. So as a viewer, that's just invigorating. Earth, that's where we started, guys. <laughs> but you mentioned that this was also alien. So I guess in a sense, you're saying that the Cylon force, besides being the created, is like an alien force when it blows up the planets the same way the overlords in Falling Skies did. Yeah. Now, I, I guess you could argue that's kind of pushing the alien, but I guess I was looking <laughs> at it like the alien, the other, Okay, which is certainly, I, th I think, a persistent theme in science fiction. But but you're right. It really is more technological because it's mankind's technology that rebels against him. Now, speaking of the Cylons, you know, of course, there are Cylons out there who are trying to destroy you. So it's, you know, on the one hand, again, you're not running from zombies. You're not running from vampires. You don't have to worry about a virus, but you do have to worry about the Cylons knowing that they live among you in total anonymity. And that can be somewhat disconcerting, but on the other hand, again, kind of exciting, especially <laughs> if you're Dr. Gaius Baltar. Oh, yes. He actually is wondering about his own sanity, of course, as well, but he can't be dissatisfied with the hallucinations that he's been given. <laughs> right. Some pretty awesome hallucinations, <laughs> at least the one in the red dress. That's All right. right. Now, like viral apocalypses, not knowing whether or not another person is infected remains an issue, uh, though ah. turning someone into a Cylon is not necessarily a threat. Like That's uh, true with zombies and all of that. But all right. So what do you got next? Yeah. So let's go off the beaten path a little bit because 12 monkeys as people who follow my other podcasts know is one of my all time favorite shows. I do a separate podcast called 12 monkeys uncaged. Check that out. If you are into this show, because this is a show that is really ramping up the apocalypse, mainly from the standpoint of they're changing it. So we, put this in the category of a viral apocalypse and certainly season one centered around trying to stop this virus from being released because it really comes out that this secret society called the army of the 12 monkeys released this virus on purpose. It was not something where it was a lab accident or anything like that. This was released on purpose and they're trying to track down the cause, the, the people that released it initially and little clues become uncovered as a result of this time travel is of course key to this show where they have to go back in time to prevent certain people from getting involved in the virus outbreak while in the future trying to avoid the mutations of the virus 
that happened because of course you could get sick even though you're quarantined in this time travel facility. But as the series progresses into season two and season three will be coming up this summer, it gets away from that. The virus almost seems to be an afterthought where it's really a method by which the army of the 12 monkeys ensured that time travel would exist so that they could carry out an even larger agenda. And I imagine it's going to get even bigger in season three as they start to realize what the true intentions are. But at its root is this original virus because without the virus, there wouldn't have been time travel. They wouldn't have pushed for the perfection of the time travel techniques so that they could prevent the virus. So that's why it makes this list because it's a unique melding of two different subgenres, time travel and apocalypse. You had me at time travel, Mike. <laughs> hey. All right. Now the origin of the virus is called the night room. And as I've said <laughs> on several podcasts in the show, the night room is in the town in which I live in real life. That's right. So you are at the site of the future apocalypse, Dave. So ground zero for you. Well, I did call the local government and they didn't seem to know what I was talking about when I asked for the location and address of the night room. But (laughs) But the reason I wouldn't mind living there, though, because it does seem that in season two, because the virus became secondary to the mission, it also seemed to become secondary in people's lives. And they do seem to wander outside a lot more. And there are pockets of survivors, certainly, and they're all fighting over resources. But if you just take the time travel facility itself and the scientists that live there and the people that are around, they're just cool people. And I think you could probably say that about a lot of these shows. Just a nice bunch of folks to hang out and have a beer. All right. Now, my third show is Van Helsing, which I covered for Den of Geek season one, and I'll be covering it again when season two comes back. We still don't have a return date for that yet. Now, Van Helsing is really a combination. You know, there's no maybes this time, environmental (laughs) and supernatural, because the premise here is that a volcanic eruption literally blocks out the sun. And now that we're living, you know, not total darkness, but dark enough that the vampires who've been living in the shadows now have the opportunity to walk about during the day, and they are walking about indeed. So we've certainly got the environmental with the eruption and the supernatural with the fact that vampires exist, which is just, I I don't know, it's just a wonderful combination of these two. And look, anytime you do vampires, you got to do something new. And, And I remember my first review, this is most certainly not your teenage daughter's twilight. <laughs> yes, no sparkly vampires here. But yeah, it was definitely interesting that they could meld these two because I wouldn't have thought this would be possible to go with the environmental apocalypse, which you would think would be more prevalent in the days of discussing the impacts of climate change and things like that, because the apocalypse doesn't come from that. It's not that crops won't grow and and the, the nuclear winter effects are keeping the planet from thriving, although I'm sure that's certainly the case. It's solely because of the secondary effect of having the vampires coming out of hiding that makes it a true apocalypse. So a really cool melding of subgenres. Right. And I mean, despite the fact that the vampires are looking to feed and turn others, I mean, look, Mike, there is something kind of hot and sexy about vampires. And in (laughs) the Van Helsing world, that's still there. But 
at the heart of it, though, is that quest for survival. And I, I guess what I like about this show and why I feel like I could live in this environment is that because the apocalypse is environmental in nature, it kind of seems plausible that there are safe zones out there because it's the ash, so much of it, that's literally blocking out the sun. And, and, and we know from history that that has happened before in Earth's history. So just the fact that you only have to safely navigate the vampires gives you a chance to find that safe zone because the show f- is focused in the Pacific Northwest. So you would think the farther east that you go, the less impacted it is. Oh, that's true. I, I do get the sense that it is global in scale, but you're right. There should be patchiness, especially the farther you get away from it. And there's the hope that it could end someday and clear up because the earth will heal itself. Right. And that's, in fact, what's happening in the show as season one came to an end is that the vampires are starting to get concerned because that is, in fact, what appears to be happening. So I'm really looking forward to this show and seeing what they do with the environmental and the supernatural, which is unlikely marriage, but it it definitely works. And of course, the competing for resources while fighting out vampires, it's really key to it. All of these really have a dependence on while you're fighting your fight, you are having trouble getting food and water and electricity and things that you need for survival. So I, I just like that you can create levels of conflict for that. And that's certainly true for our last discussion point, which is the hundred. Now this show will be a discussion topic next month. We'll get into season four in detail. It just started its fourth season on February 1st, but it seems like every season, this show, the hundred decides how else can we obliterate the human race and make it harder and harder for them, no matter what they do. And it's interesting to note that the show started off in space. Right. And that was a big part of it. And now that's almost incidental, the fact that it started out in space. But the premise of this show is that 97 years after a devastating nuclear apocalypse wiped out all life on Earth. So I I guess we, we could even put this in the nuclear apocalypse category because of that. The survivors were thought to be only in Earth orbit on a series of 12 space stations. And after 100 years, they were supposed to be able to, or no, I guess after 1,000 years, they were supposed to be able to go back to Earth and it would be safe from the nuclear fallout. But they were running out of resources on these space stations, and so they had to make a choice. How are we going to get people back to Earth because we can't continue living up here in space? So let's send a bunch of kids, a bunch of criminal kids, down and see if they survive the radiation. And then if it's safe, we'll come down later. And that's the setup. But boy, has it gone far abreast of that original premise. Well, it really has. And, and you know, we find out, of course, that Earth is inhabitable, that there are some that have been living there the entire time in multiple types of scenarios. And I guess the thing that I love so much about this show, like any good science fiction, it's really about the human drama. And in this case, it's these young people, these teenagers that are placed in situations that no person of any age should be placed in. Yet these are kids 
left to fend for themselves and they rise to the task. And, and I, again, what's fascinating is once the adults come down to watch the conflicts that naturally arise there. Oh yeah. And in fact, that seems to be the threat more than anything in season one is the political back and forth between the adults and the vying for power among the teenagers when they get on the ground. And I guess that's still true to a certain degree, but now it's become much more about the politics of the people who have survived on earth for the past hundred years, the grounders who have their own political structure and tribes that are certainly warring with each other, but they live in a post-apocalyptic world themselves, but they don't consider it because a hundred years has passed. They consider this to be the world that they've inherited. They don't look at it the same way as some of these other shows where the apocalypse was more recent might've felt about it. Right. Because in the most recent episode, the season four premiere, they even talk about the fact that, you know, Hey, we survived it once the grounders that is we'll survive the radiation. Yeah. We're not worried. Then you also have people that, actually did keep that original mindset in earlier seasons where Mount Weather was in play. And this is probably why it makes the list for me, because I feel like Mount Weather was something that could have gone right. And it just went oh so wrong in many different ways, because the folks that hold up in this emergency operations center located in the foothills of the Blue Ridge Mountains were safe from the nuclear fallout, but because they were sheltered and had a pretty good life with actual resources and even some culture that was left over from the world before, they weren't immune to the, they didn't build up an immunity to the radiation like the folks in space and the grounders did, which gave them their main weakness. But I almost feel like given the right circumstances, the Mount Weather folks could have rebuilt and truly been the post-apocalyptic culture come back from the world we knew. But in the end, I really like the grounder culture, the tribal nature and the, the powerful people that are in these tribes are just cool when it comes down to it. Well, and again, what I find so compelling is the idea that what Clark and Sky Crew bring to the tribes is this idea that you know we need to work together for all of our survival now that you mentioned mount weather i still hold out hope that there's another mount <laughs> weather type facility somewhere out there all right but, but that's probably not till season six or seven right and of course i talked about how they keep throwing different apocalypse twists because we had three examples of our six were technological in nature well guess what turns out the nuclear holocaust was caused by an AI. <laughs> so yeah. in essence, technology comes into this one too. So the strength of The 100 as a show is that it just will beat you down, not only the people in the show, but the viewers. It'll get your hopes up and then dash them against the rocks. And yet you just come back for more. So I think that's why it works so well as an apocalypse, because it just takes you to the deepest depths of despair and because it's such a deep despair, when there's moments of triumph, they're that much more sweet. All right. Well, why don't we get to the honorable mentions? Okay. They, there are a few honorable mentions, as as always. These shows didn't quite make the cut, but they deserve a mention. Dollhouse, of course, a technological post-apocalypse in the later part of that series. The Most of that did not take place 
in that post-apocalyptic world. So I guess that's why that didn't make the list, right? Right. But it all led up to that point. Right. And then, of course, one of the supernatural shows that didn't make the cut is Z Nation. But because of its comedic turns, I think of the zombie shows, you know, I don't think anyone would want to live in the world of The Walking Dead, but they might want to live in the world of Z Nation. So that's an honorable mention. Then a show that Dave and I have missed out on, but I know it's got a lot of good buzz and it just didn't fit into our schedule is The Last Ship. And that's a viral apocalypse where they're on, on a ship trying to survive. And of course, that's very unique and deserves a mention. And Falling Skies got a couple of oblique mentions there as in our discussion, but it was a show that didn't make the cut as an alien apocalypse, a very fun show that I reviewed for Den of Geek. And last but not least, a comedy show that has really gained attention uh, recently, especially for its showrunners who have gone on to do other science fiction comedy shows. And that's The Last Man on Earth, in which the cause of the apocalypse is completely unknown, and I don't think they have any intention of letting us know what it is. So those are our honorable mentions. So Apocalypse is a category of sci-fi that Dave and I certainly enjoy, and I'm sure most of our audience does as well. All right. That was great to revisit that discussion. I think it was also interesting to note that that same podcast, episode 14, also happened to contain a discussion of season two of Colony, which would have been another great topic to include in the Super Six had it not been a show topic in that same episode. So I hope you enjoyed revisiting some of those shows with us. And maybe you thought of a couple of apocalypses that would have fit in that discussion topic that aired after that discussion topic originally showed up on our podcast. But as for next week, we've got all new content for you and I hope you're looking forward to it as much as we are. We have an interview edition of the podcast to share with you with Michael Emerson of lost. He's got a new show coming out on CBS called evil where he plays an antagonist named Townsend. We talked to Michael all about that and I hope you're looking forward to that one. But in any case, that's going to be it for this episode of Sci-Fi Fidelity, and it's the end of our hiatus. We'll be back next week with Season 5, all new content. In the meantime, keep the discussion going on social media. You can follow Den of Geek on Twitter and Facebook at Den of Geek US, and we are at Sci-Fi Fidelity. And we'd love it if you could rate and review this podcast wherever you access it. Be sure to send us your suggestions for future topics on social media or in an email to sci-fi fidelity at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening. And Dave and I both will see you next week. So you've got an idea for a business, the store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in-person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media, source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. 